1956. John Pierce, the man who named the transistor, one of the inventors of the modern communication satellite concept, and an occasional science fiction author under the name J.J. Coupling. He attended a concert with Max Matthews, a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant engineer and a music lover and performer. Never a great music lover or performer, but neither here nor there. They were at the concert, which wasn't going well. And at intermission, Pierce said to his friend Max, if you can get a sound out of computer, could you write a program to synthesize music on a computer? Max thought that he could. So Pierce, Max's boss, gave him some time off from speech coding, which was his primary work at that point, and allowed Matthews to write a music program. This was the start of Bell Labs as the American Center for Research into Computer Music, and the arguably the most important series of music softwares throughout the 1950s and 60s. This is episode two of Engineers and Enthusiasts, Max Matthews, John Pierce, and Bell Labs. Welcome to Engineers and Enthusiasts, the beginning of computers in the arts. I'm your host, Christopher J. Garcia. Load program. Bell Telephone Laboratories was always looking for ways to improve their telephone experience. They were a monopoly, so they needed to provide research. And Max Matthews was hired in 1955 to do acoustics research and in particular looking for a way to encode speech to actually limit the amount of bandwidth that it took to transmit speech over things like the transatlantic cable. It was very expensive to transmit full-spectrum speech, so finding a way to encode it that limited and compressed that without losing the significant amount of quality was a key element. John Pierce's role at Bell was broad. Pierce worked on developing more ways of transmitting sound and information, and was one of the co-developers of pulse code modulation, a real key in pretty much everything from the internet to cell phones, you name it. It's a way of encoding and transmitting data. And Pierce was a big name at this point, and had a super broad range of interests and an even broader group of friends. Max Matthews had a background in both audio and what at that point was sort of a limited of computing. But following that concert, he was allowed to focus on developing software. Although even that's not entirely accurate. Because at this time, software wasn't considered as much a thing. It was more of a process. So you weren't necessarily developing a software product to run on a computer. You were using a computer in a new way with a new process. Now that is synonymous basically with software, sometimes firmware involved. And often, one of the biggest things that is required for this is the development of methodologies of interaction with a computer. Matthews developed a number of different ways of interacting with the computer to create sound. And most famously, he used the IBM 704 at Bell Labs to capture the sound of him playing his violin. In addition, he developed the first of what would become a vast number of versions of a program called Music. Music 1, the first version, was fairly simple. It had been written for the 704 in assembler, which meant it had a number of technical limitations. It had 
exactly one waveform, a triangle wave tone. It had no control of attack or decay. You could only change the amplitude, frequency, and duration of a sound. And you had to store the output on magnetic tape and then convert it using digital analog converter system to make it audible. This is a whole bunch of problems. And Max Matthews spoke a lot about this. And notably in uh, Horizons in Computer Music back in 1997, he said very simply, Computer performance of music was born in 1957 when an IBM 704 in New York City played a 17-second composition on the Music One program which I wrote. The timbres and notes were not inspiring, but the technical breakthrough is still reverberating. Music One led me to Music Two through Music Five. A host of others wrote Music 10, Music 360, Music 15, C-Sound, and C-Mix. Many exciting pieces are now being performed digitally. The IBM 704 and its siblings were strictly studio machines. They were far too slow to synthesize music in real time. Chowning's FM algorithms and the advent of fast, inexpensive digital chips made real-time possible and, equally important, made it affordable. That's one major key that has to be realized. Computer music was developing very slowly, not only because of the technical limitations, but because of the financial limitations. At this point, computers only existed in large institutions. In fact, most, if not all, of the computers that were out there in the world were either at universities or the government and typically were funded by government projects. This is a really significant part because that did limit the number of areas of research. Now that interesting output issue where you had to output to MagTape and then do a digital to audio conversion, an interesting note from Max Matthews. In fact, we were the only ones in the world at the time who had the right kind of digital to analog converter hooked up to a digital tape transport that would play a computer tape. So we had a monopoly, if you will, on that process. That's an important thing. At this point, everything was being invented. Today, literally every step along this path was a patentable concept. And the major issue, the major thing that came forth was this 17 second piece that was created by Newman Gutmann using Music One that was called the Silver Scale. There are several important things about this work. And not just the fact that it was the earliest work done with Music One, but it was the earliest work done with Music One that was made public. And that is gigantic. Because things like Sirac and the work at Manchester was never recorded to be made public. It was performed for the public, apparently. But it really was more of an outgrowth of testing and verification systems instead of a marked plan to make music. And at this point, there's a huge amount of research going on into music and speech synthesis. And Bell Labs was a major player in speech synthesis as well. Max Matthews worked speech synthesis, and Bell Labs had been a leader in the area ever since the invention of the vocoder back in the 1930s. But it was John Kelly Jr., Louis Gerstmann, and Carol Lockbaum who really did the most important thing in speech synthesis. And that was 
1961, programming the IBM 704 to synthesize a song. And that song is probably the most important work that happened in the entirety of computer-generated speech, and easily the most famous. And it was because a friend of John Pierce was visiting the lab, a friend named Arthur C. Clarke, that it became so important and enabled it to move beyond being just a mere interest to the lab. Because you see, Arthur C. Clarke, science fiction author and all-around nut, would end up working with Stanley Kubrick on a film called 2001 A Space Odyssey. And what that meant was that it was exposed when it was included in the film. It was exposed to a broad range of people. And for the most part, this was the first time people encountered the idea of computer-synthesized speech. The song, of course, is Daisy Bell, better known as Bicycle Built for Two. And it's one of the true highlights of what Bell Labs was doing in the 1960s. By 1961, the music program was in full. In 1958, there had already been an updated version of music called Music 2, again done by Matthews, but it was much more versatile because it had moved off of the IBM 704 and onto the IBM 7094. The IBM 704 was a big vacuum tube-based machine. The 7094 was transistorized and might have been the fastest machine in the world. But that, advances in storage and memory, all made it possible for music to do a whole bunch of new things. Most importantly, it had the possibility of four-voice polyphony. It was capable of generating 16 different wave shapes. And that alone makes it massively important. Polyphony, more than anything, definitely added to the capabilities of the program. By 1960, Music 3 was released. And there's a great interview uh, from 2011 in Freeze uh, with Gita Dial, where Max says what is basically the most important aspect of what Music 3 was. Music 3 was my big breakthrough. 
because it was what was called a block diagram compiler so that we could have little blocks of code that could do various things. One was a generalized oscillator, other blocks were filters, mixers, and noise generators. That level of complexity dwarfs anything that had come before. So you could actually do things like setting up a score, so you could arrange how sounds were played in the chronological order. Oscillators and all of that allowed you to do a whole bunch of other things of generating new sounds, new timbres, new everything. It changes the entire concept. And I believe there was also the idea of decay and attack being very much more prevalent here. From that same interview, I also had a way of writing a musical score in a computer file so that you could say, play a note at a given pitch at a given moment of time and make it last for two and a half seconds. And you could make another note and generate rhythm patterns. This sort of caught on, and a whole bunch of programs in the United States were developed for that. Each of those inventions. Music 4 was actually a collaboration between Max and Joan Miller, another figure who I think is never given the due she deserves. And again, Max Matthews in 1980 said, uh, Music 4 was simply a response to a change in the language and the computer. It had some technical advantages from a computer programming standpoint. It made heavy use of macro assembly program which existed at the time, which it would only run, of course, on the Bell Lab 7094. And they came up with other versions of it. Of course, the Verco version and some various other things that were made in Fortran instead of Assembler. And moving beyond machine-specific code to something like Fortran that could be done on multiple different machines, that's key. And it all led to Music 5, which in 1967 was written specifically for the IBM 360 series, which had been released in 1965. And it was the most popular of this series of music programs. And again, from that 2011 interview, the last program I wrote, Music 5, came out in 1967. That was my last program because I wrote it in Fortran. Fortran is still alive today. It's still in very good health. So you can recompile it for the new generation of computers. Verco wrote it for the 360, and then when the 360's computers died, he rewrote another program called Music 11 for the PDP-11. And when that died, he got smart and he wrote a program in the C language called C-Sound. That again is a compiler language and it's still a living language. In fact, it's the dominant language today. So he didn't have to rewrite the program anymore. Super clutch 
concept. You create a program and you enable it to move. And by the time Music 5 was out, actually Music 6 had been released by Dave Poole, who was at Stanford. And then Music 10 by another figure who was really important and probably the greatest secondary figure, the one most influenced by Max Matthew. That's John Chowning. Chowning was inspired by having read about Matthew's work and joined Matthew's at Bell Labs. His key introduction would happen in 1967, I believe while he was at Stanford. And it was FM synthesis, which allowed a carrier frequency and a modulation frequency to be in the same stream within the audio band. That was incredibly important. What happened next is often overlooked in its importance, but I really believe it needs to be thought about more, is Matthews wasn't just sitting on his laurels. He was working, but not only on his own work. He was working with people like, a very good example, Lillian Schwartz, Laurie Spiegel, even Laurie Anderson, but I think that was much later. Max was enabling a generation of new scientists and making music possible, but he was interacting with folks in the art scene. So by providing music for scores for films, uh, giving concerts even, that was key to getting the Bell Labs name and promoting computer music in general to a wider audience. That alone makes Bell Labs the most important location for the development of American computer music. But it was far from the only place that was doing computer music in the 1950s and 60s. The other major place is going to be the focus of our next episode. And that's the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Our next episode is going to be all about Ladger and Hiller and the Experimental Music Studios. 